0: Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS.
1: Hey, Rusty. Why are we uh, partnering with SGS?
0: Uh, uh, some 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 good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready, so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer into any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really.
1: So, what's so special about their degree courses that others won't be doing? I think
0: it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported, and will leave yeah you know, ready to just go. Thriving the uh, big old world out there.
1: SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to
0: develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. James Percival, how the devil are you? You're I'm looking good, really well, by the way. <laughs>
2: yeah, mate, I'm good, I'm good. A bit of French sun doesn't go amiss.
0: Mate, you look like you've just walked into Love Island, which started last night. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I haven't got the apps for that, mate. I started watching it, I was flicking between that and watching France lose. So, uh, yeah, I was flicking between the two, but no, mate, uh, I haven't got the six-pack, a little bit of a tan, but no, mate, not not Love Island ready yet. You i would get- good.
0: You could just wear a t-shirt and have the guns out. That would Let's be get the guns out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> nice and how's <laughs> France, are you,
2: are
0: you well? Is France treating you well?
2: Yeah, mate, no, it's good. It's been uh it's been eventful, it's different to England, but you've got to come and uh embrace the culture, know what you're coming for, and it takes a little time to get used to it. But no, I'm settled here now. My family are here, my kids go to school here, they speak French. Uh so yeah, mate, we settled in pretty well to be honest.
0: Beautiful. Well, well, let's get it on. Uh I contacted you um after your rugby paper article. Lots of what you said resonated with me and with lots of other people, I'm sure it created a bit of a <clears throat> quite a lot of people saying, Oh, have you seen this article? And oh, I wonder which coach that coach is. And without getting into too much of that, um, I'm sure we'll share some stories. Um and 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 bookending it with, we both just then chatting about the the final and how Quinn's played and perhaps like what the game in a club could look like. Mm-hmm. Let's um, let's try and re- reinvent rugby along the way and <laughs> and see what would work. Maybe for me and you. So what would be like a really good uh, way of playing in a rugby environment for me and you? So do you want to like start off with like what got you to here? So what's the what's the train of events that
2: yeah, so, so so my rugby my rugby path was a bit of a strange one. I, was, I never even knew what rugby was. Uh, I was at a school, school event and I got asked to, someone went to my dad and said, is that your son? He's a big lad. Does he want to come and play rugby? Uh, took me along on a Sunday, a game at Newport. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, so it was sort of straight in the deep end. Uh, then I played for a local club called Old Halzonians. Never went to a school that played rugby. Uh, a teacher put me in for the counties, uh, school counties. I got all the way to the north-south trials on that, but I had no rugby in the school. And back in the day then, it was very much dependent on the school you went to, how, how you sort of got through those school levels. Uh, I'd look now, then I moved to Worcester. I got cited by Worcester by playing against them with Old Houseonians. I had Luke Narraway's dad as a coach, which was unreal, which was probably a massive thing for me. I learned so much from him. Uh, I had him at Worcester, Nigel Redmond came along, picked me up into the Academy at Worcester. Uh, he was with Graham Smith, but Nigel was a different level, unreal bloke, unreal coach and sort of took me on under his wing and sort of said to me, why hasn't anyone ever really pushed you for representative? I've never really known about you. And he, he pushed me into everything. He, he, he was the one who sort of made my career, to be honest. So I owe a lot to him. I was in the Academy at Worcester, uh, Loved it. And then I I obviously got drawn into the first team at Worcester at a young age to train with them. And uh, it was eventful. So I I guess sort of, as you touched on it in the rugby paper, it was uh, interesting times. So many, so many examples to sort of discuss, really. I remember the first time I'd gone in, we were doing the fitness session and we had a guy called Phil Richards. I think he does uh, work, blood tests and things for uh, Eddie Hall now, world's strongest man. But mate, he was an absolute lunatic of an SNC coach, like ex-ex paratrooper, military. So he was a different level. So he took us to places he'd never ever been before. And I think he was there with you when you were Worcester with me. Did you experience him?
0: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'd i I'd, um, I played four games, scored four tries. So I'll take it. <laughs> uh, I remember it actually put me off rugby, so. I was at Rotherham and uh, Steph Nell did his best to put me off rugby. And uh, I I just told you the story about that then. And then I went to Worcester, which to be honest, was like the nail in the coffin. Like
2: Mm.
0: I was just done with it. I just thought it was ridiculous that the things I remember about, like, was just that, just such an environment. Like it wasn't based around love or care. It was based around like punishment and, and conformity. So I remember there being, there was like a camera in the gym, wasn't there? And if yeah. anyone spoke in the gym, then you had to pick up like some dumbbells and do like a farmer's walk around.
2: Or, or around the whole pictures, yeah. We had three pictures next to each other, so you'd be gone for about 20 minutes. And
0: actually, if you look at it now, like, and I'm going to talk about Quintin's, but the connection between their players and the fun they're having, and, you know, they speak about love, like, properly speak about it, don't just, like, pretend it happens. Yeah. Then... I think we yeah, I think we can often compartmentalize rugby and go like, oh, if we make someone stronger, if we make someone heavier, if we do this, but we forget that it's ultimately like it's it's a human thing, isn't it? And being yeah. part of a team and belonging a critical elements.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. So as you touched on it. So we had we had Phil there who was took me to a different level. He was an absolute head case, but he, to be fair to him, he made me a, a specimen or I never got broke ever in my rugby career. I never feared a pre-season because I knew nothing would ever be as hard as I ever had there. So I sort of got into that. And as you touched on, it was just an environment of fear factor. So there's me and two other young lads. I remember the first session we were doing fitness and you'd keep doing laps of the pitch. And then every time the person who came first would drop out. So you'd be doing about 25, 30 laps of the pitch at full pace. First place would drop out every time. And I remember it was my first session. I've been on holiday with my mates for two weeks, excited to come back into the first team. And uh, the coach was there and I was coming and I, I came third from the end. I came third from the end and he was like, you go again, you haven't. You lost, you lost, you lost. And I was like, I haven't lost. And I must have done about six or seven extra on my own and he made me lose, lose it. And that was sort of the, that was sort of the base for the whole of my time in the first team. It lasted for about three years, but some absolute crazy stories one day i was i was uh training and i'd been given a a petrol canister and a a petrol pipe and we used to have some cars that we used to push around the pitches as fitness and i was told to go and siphon all the petrol out of the cars for for, to put in the for the coach's car man i didn't have a clue i didn't even know what siphoning the the thing was so i'm there putting the siphon into the petrol tank of the car (laughs) sucking i'll get petrol all in my mouth I'm like I'm panicking because of the fear they put into me. I was absolutely bricking myself, worried about going back in, say I couldn't I couldn't get this petrol out. And I was there for about an hour and fifteen trying to figure out how to do this, mate. And I literally just waited for everyone to go home, the coaches had gone, and then I just I just left it there. And it was a story about if we train badly, if I train badly, I'd have my kit all taken off me. I'd have to hand my kit bag in with all my kit and then I'd have to change in my own clothes every single day until he thought it was appropriate that I'd have my kit back. And then uh, I played England 21s, and I, 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 I kept my head down, mate. I was never an arrogant player. I was never big-headed, and I kept my head down, came back. First day, born in the office. Oh, if you think that there's a rose on your chest, it's an effing cherry to me. It may as well be a cherry. It's like, don't come here thinking you're the big man now. And I was like, I was like okay, no problem. And then uh, there's a meeting after that. And then he he had a meeting and then we had a short training session, went back in for a meeting after it. He's like, oh, the worst trainer of the week. I hadn't even been there a week, mate. And I got given this teddy bear as worst, worst trainer of the week. And then when I had it, I was told I'd have to dress it up different every single day. I'd have to walk around with it everywhere in town. And he said to the boys, all the team, if anyone sees James without it, you tell me and he's in big shit. And I was like... Mate, I literally went back home panicking, and I'd have to get my mom to make clothes for this teddy bear every single night to dress this teddy bear up because I was so scared. <clears throat> and I used to wake up, mate, every morning with diarrhea, panicking. Some mornings I'd be crying because I'd be like, I can't take this anymore. And I got to a sort of point where I remember I was in the office with uh, Nigel Redden because he was still an academy coach. I just went in his office crying. I was like, Look, I can't do this. It's not right. I, what, what, what's going on? And Absolutely messed my head up in terms of confidence. So then I went in the office and I got my dad in with me and I said, look, after the England 21s, Northampton wanted to sign me. And uh, I said, can I come in and cancel my contract? I'd like to go to Northampton. And my contract was £6,000 for the year. £6,000. And the coach said, if you want to try and leave this club, we'll do every single thing to stop you playing rugby as long as possible. And I was just sat there, I was like, okay. So then I, I gave it a few days. I went back in. I said, is it possible to go out on loan then? It's like, yes, you can go out on loan. So I managed to figure out to go on loan to Coventry. So I went on loan to Coventry. And to be fair, I absolutely loved it. I just enjoyed my rugby. It was a real good environment there. The Fair brothers were there. It was quite a good setup. Michael Mangle was a coach. Steve Williams, who then later went on to Northampton to coach there, were there. I just realised what rugby was and what it was about. But because I'd gone from that academy structure into that first team, I didn't know anything else. And I didn't know I had a right to stand up for myself. I didn't know what I had to do. I didn't know any other environment because I'd not come from that environment. And my dad's coming from a military background. He was always sort of keep your head down, work hard, it'll be okay. But I never really told them how bad it was. They didn't really ever know about it because to me, it was, oh, this is normal. This is how I should be treated. And I think from that, probably my whole career of rugby, I played my best rugby when a coach would sort of give me encouragement or, show, encouragement or show me that attention. My whole career, I never believed in myself. I always thought I could have done better. It was always like, I should do better. And I say to some of the boys I coach now or work with, I'm like, look, my biggest regret in life was that I didn't believe in myself enough. And that's probably one thing that I look back on and that self-belief is probably one of the most important things because there's a lot of talk about loyalty in rugby. There's a lot of talk about being a team, being a member of a team. But ultimately, mate, you've got to look out for yourself. You've got to prioritise yourself first. If you don't prioritise yourself first, then I believe you won't be the best you can be. But then when you go on that pitch, it's a collective. But there's a in training, there's that competitive edge, wanting to be the best challenge yourself, push yourself more, but on that pitch, a collective. And that's, that's probably one of my biggest regrets that I never actually thought I was good.
0: So much to unpick. Uh, who helped you? So, And obviously those stories are
2: like... Yeah, mate. So it really pisses me off, to be honest, because there's so many big-name players at the club during my time when I was at Worcester, and they saw everything that happened. They saw absolutely everything, mate, and not one of them ever stood up to say this isn't right. Everyone was absolutely shit scared. You, you were there, mate. You saw the environment and how it was and no one would ever speak up. Like, it, it was ridiculous and it really made me angry. Looking back to these days, there's some big players with big names throughout rugby who people talk highly of and I, I'm there and I'm, I look at them and I think, no, mate, this guy couldn't even stand up and pick stick stand up for an 18-year-old who was getting treated like absolute shit. So, the one person who, one player who I've got massive respect for who did sort of take me under his wing, look after me, go and buy me lunch every day, and that was Mark Gaby. And that's something I never sort of forgot. He was a real good bloke. He saw it was wrong. He talked to me about it. He he stood up sometimes to to what was happening in that. But it was an environment where it was a fear factor, mate. Where I remember that season, the one season we won 25 out of 25 games, and it was the hardest season of our lives because. We, we won one game, lost it uh, by a few points. And then we were all called in at five o'clock the next morning and got absolutely obliterated in the gym. <laughs> different, different level, different level. So I was sat at home the Saturday night, absolutely worrying the whole night about what's going to happen on Sunday. So, so many stories. And then I got there on the Sunday. There wasn't enough boxing gloves for, for the three of us young boys. There wasn't enough boxing gloves. So that we got sent outside and we were doing leopard crawls, so army crawls on our knees and elbows for an hour and a half. And we're told that if we stopped, someone would see us. And for an hour and a half we were doing it, no one even bothered to come out to see us. We didn't stop, mate. For an hour and a half, no one bothered to come out to see us. We kept seeing cars going out of the, the ground. We were, what's going on? All the cars are going, but the fitness coach hadn't come. Mate, no one even bothered coming out for us an hour and a half. Our knees were bleeding, plasma coming out of our knees, our elbows. And we just ended up going in. No one give a shit. Wow. where is that fear factor? That mind gain.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it would still exist. I mean, I'm <clears throat> I'm pleased to give a shout out to Mark Gabe. He's a he's an awesome bloke. Um, yeah, I was like, I mean, I, yeah, I definitely was aware that the environment wasn't good. Like, <clears throat> I was there for a few weeks, and 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 I, it just put me off rugby, if I'm honest. I probably wasn't. Aware enough at that stage of of what was going on with in everyone else's heads, because yeah. I was travelling backwards and forwards a bit. But it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty strange. You've triggered me on quite a few things actually. But I, I hear this all the time. Like it's interesting, isn't it? Like when you don't do as well, like often people go straight to punishment. So yeah. I remember the Yorkshire lad saying that, you know, if they lost a the game back when they were Leeds, they would do forty one hundreds the next day on the pitch. <laughs> like, how ridiculous is that? Right. Like, it's gonna make you better at rugby. Uh, the self-belief like really resonates again. Like I think it's one of the things that if you asked coaches what would they want in their players or what would they want to measure it would be like confidence. And yet they do so many things that make so many players lack confidence. And again, I speak to 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 lots of players at the moment. Um and they just have that imposed upon them by coaches. Lots. It's pretty. Um...
2: It's the pressure thing. I think sometimes you think, I think it's a pressure from the top, and you want to put that pressure onto the players. But like the most, thing, the most important thing as a player is you want to know that the coach believes in you. You're in a good place. When you're in a happy and a good place, mate, you you play unreal. Like everyone's going to make mistakes. No one's perfect. And I think a lot of the time is players don't know their role within a team why a lot of players i remember when i was at worcester my second time i'd gone in the office and uh, the coach said to me he's like oh you've got no x factor and i was like what do you mean i've got no x factor and he's like well look at this player for example look how he carries the ball look how he tackles these big hits and he's explosive on carrying you just got no x factor i was like okay then So I went away, mate, and I tried to change myself. I tried to think, oh, I can carry the ball now even more or do this or do that. And I tried to change myself. And at the end of it, I was like, what am I doing? I'm like, I know what my strengths are. It's just some coach giving a shit excuse not to pick me in the team. But to me, it was everything. And it it was funny enough, I ended up, (laughs) there's a bit more story to it all, but I ended up playing in the the finals when we got promoted against uh, Bristol. And after that, the, the, the head coach came up to me and goes, oh, you're a, you're an effing good bloke, never forget that. And then another, the, the same coach who said to me about the X-Factor thing came and said to me, he's like, oh, your mall defence is world class. It's the best ball defence I've ever seen. And I was like, well, that's my X-Factor, no? Do you know what I mean? And But a little word like that, a coach saying to you, oh, you haven't got an X-Factor. To him, it's a passing phrase just to say, oh, if he said to me, oh, Mike's carrying the ball better or something. But Using that words to a player because you hold on to a coach's words so much, he's like, Oh, so I went away. I was like, I've got no X factor, I've got nothing in my game. And mate, I was 30, I was 31 years old. I've been playing 15 years at premiership level. All the time. <laughs> and then I, another time, I, the coach was like, I'd asked to leave my contract a year earlier at Worcester, and I, I kept it really quiet because just for my own value, how my values are. So obviously, Hilly was there, Hilly left, Dean Ryan came in. and I didn't really agree with the, the, the culture and the vision of, of what Dean was doing. And I was signed by Richard as well. So I was sort of in the middle of it all. And uh, I'd gone in his office and I said to him, I was like, I'd like to leave my contract a year early if possible. I was like, I just see the way you're taking the club is a different direction to how I feel. And I was saying, he's like, oh, do you know what your problem is? I was like, what? He's like, you can't handle competition. <laughs> And I, was there, I was like, I can't handle competition. I'm like, I'm 30, I'm 32 years old. And now you're telling me I can't handle competition when I've just had to have competition every single day of my life for the last 15, 16 years. I was just like, I was like sometimes these coaches just do not think about what they say. It's just like, it's in other words, trying to say to me, oh, you're not good enough just because you're not playing, then you, you just because you're not playing. You want to leave? I was like, mate. And I was on a good contract, mate. I'd I'd just signed another... I'd signed two years and I'd signed another three-year deal on on real good money. And I I literally walked out of that deal with nothing because I'd agreed to leave. I told no one. I didn't get played at all. I was playing some A-League. Didn't get played at all. And then I remember I got called into the team to play the quarterfinals I think it was against London Scottish and it was announced in the meeting and, it, and it was some boys texted me yesterday it's still a joke now the boys text me yesterday and Dean announced to team. he's like oh we're putting James on the bench as a safety net <laughs> <laughs> the boys messaged me last night they still call me the safety net and I was like, <laughs> safety net. I, was like I was like, it makes no sense I'm, I'm made. so it's just a big thing on coaches just to them it's a passing phrase because they've got other things but you really need to think about what you say to players. And luckily by that time, I'd been through a lot more shit in my life and things. And I got to that point where after what happened to me at Worcester when I was young, I turned really headstrong. You know what I mean? Yes, I wouldn't believe in my own abilities as much. But when I said, when I wanted to say what I thought and believed in what I thought I would say, you'd never really, I'd never be afraid of an argument or to say to a coach how I feel. There's another time when I was at Grenoble. I had Bernard Jackman, and I, I played a game against Racing. had a real good game, and then uh, I wasn't picked in the week after. mate, no reason whatsoever. So I phoned him up, and I, I was like, "I'm just phoning you up. I want to tell you I'm really fucked up. I'm not picked in the team." He's like, "Do you want to go to war with me? Are you trying to go to war with me?" I was like, "No. If I wanted to go to war with you, I wouldn't be on the phone. I'm telling you, I'm pissed off because I care." about the team i care about playing and i care about being a part of this i was like uh, and, and that's another example like when a player would say to me i'm pissed off i sharing their emotions it shows they care if a player you don't get picked he's like, i don't care it's okay and it's just that whole sometimes i just think mate, it's it's crazy how these coaches are given so much responsibility of 30 35 people's futures, but the Choice of words and how they manage it is crazy, and that, I guess that sort of leads on to what we're saying about reinventing rugby.
0: <laughs> yeah, mate, mate, you've you've triggered me on loads of things, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like just talk through what I wrote down while you were speaking. So, it's one man's opinion. I say man because it's it's not women in our in our sport, but it's one person's opinion. Like I, I think I said to you, like the day Steph Nell walked in and put us in an A B and a C team and. I was in the C-team and told never to come training, having got Man of the Match the week before. Yeah. It was a fairly dark day. It was made it was made funny when Charlie, Har- Charlie Harrison, who is just awesome at impressions, had perfected a L impression within about 10 minutes and also had worked out that there was no fly half in the A-team. <laughs> um, again, it's, it's one man's opinion. I mean, we're really good at putting people in boxes. So as coaches, it's really easy, isn't it, to go... Well, you're not this or you're not that. You don't take responsibility. You're not competitive. You haven't got an X factor. No. Actually, that's our job to help you, um, which is pretty weird. And again, like when you start talking about I compete every day, like every day, like you're judged every day, you're competing with others, you're competing with opposition, you're competing for contracts. I mean, every day, like n- n- not in many other jobs does does that exist. Um and then it's interesting, I was like, um, like other environments. Again, like it's only when I see lots of lads, lots of lads at the moment ask me, oh, you know, tell me about other environments. You know, what about, what's it like in this club? What's it like? You know, I watch Quinns, what do you know about them type stuff? And again, we, we probably don't allow people to explore that enough. Um, I get a lot of people reach out to me, so a lot of players, and I will sometimes, and I'll check with them if it's okay. I'll tell, I'll tell coaches or clubs. I'll go look. I think this person's like finding it tough. I would generally want to say, you like, know, what are you going to do about it? But and then I get told off. I've been told off a couple of times for like, yeah. what's it got to do with you? And I'm like, like, well, they're human beings. Um, like, I really care about them and want them to do well, and their well-being is really important to me. And I think they they need some help, and I'm just telling you so you can help them.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, however, it's re- it's it's often not taken like that.
2: No, I mate, mean, it's it, 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 it's a funny one. I, I, who did you
0: who, who did you reach out to? So I'm curious. Like, did you when you were in all of this? Was there people outside of your bubble that you reached out to? Because because I think that doesn't happen that often either.
2: What, in, uh, when I was younger or when I was older? When you were
0: younger, like, you obviously. When I was younger, old. mate, I,
2: no, when I, was younger, mate I, I had no one. I, I didn't have. My only people I would talk to would be my girlfriend, uh, my mum and dad I would say to, but they didn't really understand, mate. I guess, mate, it's, I'm not comparing it to stuff, but I guess when you get kids who are bullied or things, uh, you don't really know that it's any different. So, and my old man was. Uh, it's like elite forces in the military so if I'd gone to him and I'd said to him about it, he was sort he, he'd sort of like oh you're okay, get on with it keep your head down, work hard and you'll be alright and I took that on board and that's what I did all the time but I guess I didn't really want to show weakness to him as well so the only person I guess who was the most person I could rely on was Nigel Redmond mate, there'd be times I'd be in his office crying and he'd sit and talk to me and help me and I'd probably say he was the only person who I had, or had. But then again, he was in a situation where he was an academy coach. I don't think he agreed with anything that was going on, but he had no power to change it. And that's why he ultimately left in the end. He didn't stay at Worcester. And uh, so I had no one, mate. There's none of the younger... All my mates were still in the academy. So I'd look at my mates in the academy and they would be absolutely loving life. And then they'd, like one or two would be swapped into the first team sometimes and they'd be like... I'm so glad I'm out of there, mate. No one wanted to be put into the first team to train. The only time they loved it was when the academy played against the first team and there was massive scraps because the first, the ACAD boys hated them so much. So I was in it. It's really weird for me. I saw all my mates having fun. I saw all these massive names above me and no one would stick up for me or fight for me. So I was completely on my own. I, I was. I was on my own, mate. The only, and I speak to Craig Gillis sometimes, and he's, he's, he's another one. When I was there, he was playing every week, week in, week out playing. But he thought, it's only about a few years ago he spoke to me about how, how much of a dark place he was in, mate. Yeah. And for me to hear that is, I like, bloody hell. And like, since I've retired now, I hear so many stories of players who have had depression or mental issues or things after rugby. And I never had depression. I never had... i never say I had any issues or anything. It was just... In hard and it hardened me up, but the amount of people are here now, I, I, it's crazy, mate. The amount of people I speak to, and they're like, Oh, I had all these issues when I was playing, and no one gives a shit. As long as you come to train and you go, I, I remember a lad, his kid got born, uh, was in hospital, really ill, and he had to play a second team game. The coach wouldn't let him go to the hospital for his son, and he's on the pitch crying, crying, mate. And I, I was sort of like, Why is he crying? And then the lads were like, Yeah, his kids he give birth, his kids really in in hospital, and he, he's not allowed to go he's to play the second team game. I'm like
0: <laughs> you should um you should definitely check in with people and find out where they are, like yeah. regularly would be my my view on that. And I guess what you said about the transition into first team, it's often really unhelpful. Yeah. I was at um I was a bath on Friday and talking with their academy about like how could you make this like your super strength? Like, you do transition into first team in a more helpful way than anyone else. Um, I, often, I think, you know, we're, we're missing opportunities to to allow people to be their best. And, and it, it can take ages, like, when done badly. Can we fast forward to some better times? Um, uh,
2: yeah, mate, yeah, of like,
0: and, and, and of course, like, everything you said. I'll be honest. Like I would have experienced it, it in, in different environments with different coaches. I mean, we had we had a coach at Rotherham that people, you know, nicked his pipe and his coffee cup and put them in a urinal and queued up to urinate Like that was that was probably a good assessment of, of of how people saw him. I had a coach tell me at Bath that he didn't care how well I played. He was never ever going to pick me again. Yeah,
2: I've heard that one. I've I've heard that with a few boys before. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is tough, isn't it? Because you are competitive and it's what you love doing. And to say, well, actually, no matter how hard you do this, you're never, ever going to get a chance. It's one person's opinion. So in my opinion, at that point, you need to leave. And, yeah. and some people don't, or some people don't have, I guess, the opportunity to. Can we fast forward to Quins? Because you lit up when I spoke about Quinns earlier and how they played and playing with DC and... Hugo being big time and all this time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, Will, you tell everyone what you're up to at Core 37. Hi, Fletch. We're a teamwear brand based in the northeast, are the sister company of Oddballs. We've got the largest sports sublimation factory in the UK, and we've produced for the biggest brands in Europe over the past seven years. But with Core 37, our in-house brand, you can now access those prices direct to the customer. Why would people use Core 37? Uh, if I was to pick three, flesh it would be our lead time of three to four weeks, our price, which is lower than anybody else in the industry, and the fact that we're made here in the UK. What's the stuff you're most proud of at Core 37? There's loads of stuff, but the, the key one for me would be working for a company that, that genuinely believes in its own mission statement, which is to produce performance sportswear at an affordable price. And then underpinning that is the people. Everybody who works here is involved in grassroots sport in some way. And so we genuinely care about what we're doing here. Fletch, why do you want to partner with Core37? Apart from the fact you're a Geordie, uh, great people, uh, lots of people involved in sport, really affordable and top quality. Thanks for joining us, Wilkie. Anyone who wants to find out more can go and have a play on their website at core-37.com or they can reach out directly to Tom at (laughs) core-37.com. So, yeah, mate. i have gone from... Uh,
2: the situation I ended up in Queen's was a bit of a weird one because I I broke my neck. Uh, I'd signed for Northampton, I broke my neck, so I fractured my C4, C5 and I was told I'd never play rugby again. So I went on loan to Bedford for a season. Mikey Ray, mate, absolute legend of a bloke. Absolutely love that bloke. Sort of the heart and soul of rugby. And I went on loan to Bedford for a season and, mate, just him and uh, Martin Hines as well. I don't know if you know Hinesy. Mm-hmm. So, mate, just brought the real love of rugby back and I I had a really good season. Uh, My agent said Quinn's were interested so I went and met Dino at uh, at the Stoop and there's an old gym opposite the road and I was in there talking to him. He doesn't talk a lot, Dino, he lets you do the talk and then luckily mate, John Callard walked in while I was there and I'd had John Callard at my England 21s with Nigel Redmond and me and Callard got really, really well and Dino waved at Callard and I said, oh, I know John Callard really well. He was my coach at 21. So I saw Dino get up, go and speak to him. Obviously asked me about me. And then I walked out and Dino was like, right, why should I fucking sign you then? I was like, because I'll prove you I'm fucking the best. You know, I I ended up signing there. And I think it was about two, three months before I played. And then I played my first game against Stad. And after that, mate, I played pretty much every single game. And I absolutely loved it. The, The culture was a group of boys who'd come through Fed One. We had Will Skinner as captain, who I had a lot a lot of time for, mate, a proper warrior, his speeches before the match, or unreal, real DC, Jordan Turner Hall, who were like little kids every single week joking around. Rob Shaw, mate, it was just unreal. We'd we'd be we'd be training in squash courts uh for our gym, old old squash courts in Roehampton, It was not the greatest equipment, but we worked hard. And then we'd be training at Roehampton as well where people would be walking their dogs and everything and like dog shit and that but hey it was absolutely unreal dino loved the boys to work hard play hard was his sort of philosophy and everything was about tempo everything was about expression you play at tempo express yourselves play how you want to play even training mate i felt like a little kid going to tra- every single day i went to training i felt like a kid just playing on the park with his mates and i absolutely loved it and I know after the blood scandal thing, there's been words about the culture at the club. That Mate, swear I swear to God, it was the best culture ever. There was no bad culture or anything. It, it was unreal. And you ask any of the boys there, mate, and you can see how many boys have been at that club. They don't really move. Boys stay there most of their career because they love it. I remember the times the boys would go out and then, the next day at training we'd be having some of the birds rock up from Big Brother or something I mean, coming to us to take photos with the boys and that mate, it's just like London life but that London life was how we had the life on the rugby pitch as well Now mate, it was, it was amazing and looking back I regret leaving but the only reason I left was because Dino didn't stay on and Connor came in and mate, again I didn't really see eye to eye with Connor and I'm a very much a person who invests in my coach. So these days in rugby, you change your club a lot. You change it's a, the professional game. So for me, it's not as much about playing for the badge. It's about playing for the person. And if I respect that coach and that person signs me, then I'll give everything for them. I'll take a bullet for them. I'm a soldier to them. And I felt that commitment to Dino. And when Dino left, I sort of guess Connor came in and... Uh, I remember being sat in with Connor one time and I I literally just sort of called him out for being a bullshitter, to to be honest with you, mate. And uh, after that, it didn't go down too well. But I I was injured anyway. A bit like you said, to be honest, the situation was I ruptured my ACL the last game uh, before Dean left. I think it was against Sale or something. So that season I wasn't really playing and I'd seen there was a lot of problems going on and boys weren't happy about things. So I, I had a meeting and I just sort of called him out on a couple of things, even though I wasn't playing because I was like, well, it's my team. I, I care about the team and things like that. So, and again, yeah, it sort of didn't go down too well, but I was sort of like you, mate. I, I, people didn't stand up for me or fight my corner, so I always believed that I would do that. So I sort of left after that, but the culture there, the style of rugby and mate, some of the stories as well. You can imagine with Dino, one night I was out drinking, got back in at five o'clock in the morning, Epitayoni was there, and there's something about his contract that we just thought, oh, let's phone Dean up for a laugh. Called him up at five in the morning, no answer, left a voicemail. I hung over the next morning, I wake up, up on Pantani Fuga's sofa, look at my phone, got a message off Dean Richards saying, "Be at my office at eight a.m. Monday morning." I was like, "Oh my god!" You know what I was <laughs> said? I couldn't remember anything. So eight o'clock in the morning, mate, I'm sat outside of his office, biggest sweat patches ever under my arms. <laughs> calls me in the office, throws a bit of piece of paper in front of me and an envelope over it and it's my P45. He says nothing. And I'm just sat there I'll say nothing as well because I knew I sort of figured by that time he plays the say nothing game a lot. So I said nothing. He's like, right, won't you fucking think of that? I was like, well, there's nothing I can do, mate. I've got to accept it. He snatched it off me and he was like, the only time you ever call me at five in the morning is if you're locked up and you need me to come and get you out. And that's, that was the culture, mate. He, do you know what I mean? He. He'd be there for you no matter what. It's sort of, I, I knew under underlying, he liked that. He liked the boys doing those sort of things. But there was a time and a place. But another time we had, the, the it was actually the blood scandal game. I'd gone in the office and uh, I was talking to John Kingston for about 45 minutes about doing this, doing that, all the technical stuff. Because J.K. likes his technical stuff, being an ex-Cambridge or Oxford graduate. And i was walking past dean's office and i just saw him sat in there dean, dean would always have his phone mate and he's always sat like this on his desk on his phone so i walked past and i caught him i was like i'll have a quick chat with him i was like, dean i was like big game this weekend semi-finals of uh, europe what, what do you want from me he's like yeah those irish are coming down here they think they're gonna do our job on us i just want you to go out there and be a C U N T. get out my office I knew what my job was and I absolutely loved that I knew what I had to do to make him happy and to me that was the best feeling ever because all the technical stuff yeah I I know my job the technical stuff but you know better than anyway sometimes the game takes control of that and you can't do all those things but when you know what you are as a person and you know your job within that team clearly you can do that and when you do that and express that everything else comes into play then but when you're thinking about I've got to be in this place this place this place this place you're thinking too much you lose that edge you lose that sharpness But you said to me be that so i'll go out and tackle people i'll lie on them i'll put my elbow in their face and mate from that my game my game got better and i got an i had an identity i think that's the word you have an identity within the team.
0: yeah i uh, i was i'm a cambridge graduate as well i wouldn't go into that much detail i definitely remember and apologies for going back to worcester i remember going back and uh, and at the Worcester session, there was a session where we were on about sixteen rooks, and like there was no defender, no no defenders, and like who the hell is supposed to be in that rock and isn't in that rock? Who is it? And I was thinking, we haven't even got any defenders. Like this is, this is quite frankly ridiculous. Ah, um, oh, mate, did you and did you and were you aware that like it was that good at the time? Were you like this is class? And were you thinking actually at that point? stage in your career were you aware that this is actually better than other places uh,
2: no I was never really aware of other places I think the thing that made me realise that this was this this was it this was the top was when we had players like uh, Nick Evans come in but I think that season we had Nick Evans Gary Bota Devette Barry uh, I think there was one or two others and we had players of that stature come in and they came into that environment and they, they were the same. They were like, oh my God, this is unreal. This is this is awesome. And mate, they loved life. They loved rugby. And the, the bond they had to the club, the same with Gary. Gary left because of Dean leaving and things like that. And I think it was at that point seeing players like this, especially Nick Evans coming in as, a, as a, an all-black coming in and saying, what an environment, having input into what we were doing, the plays and everything. It was, it was unreal. It was just, I, I was like, this is this is something else. You
0: mentioned uh, beforehand, psychologist as well, like
2: yeah. You? So, which again, yeah.
0: sorry. So I mean, so we're now talking ten years on. That isn't that normal for there to be a psychologist
2: in lots. of oh, Well, mate, there's a, it depends, mate. The amount of psychologists I've had, I reckon, I've had more psychology sessions sessions than some of these film stars. So, yeah. obviously, <laughs> when we were going through a bad patch at uh, Worcester with Dean Ryan, we had. We had a fair few psychologists come in, mate, and it was one who helped me make my decision to leave. We'd had some South African guys come in where we'd be sat in a circle of trust, talking, and, mate, had the most obscene questions thrown to us that we didn't know the answers to. And then we had a chimp management, a guy from chimp management come in, and I remember I was sitting there, the one raised up, He said, look, you've got two options in life. You accept it or you walk away from it. And I walked out of that meeting and I was like, that's it. He's told me what I need to do. I got to walk away from it because I'm not willing <laughs> to accept it. So we'd had a lot of those psychology sessions to get us out of the relegation battle and things like that. That didn't have hours of being sitting that sat in those. We had a guy at Queens called Peter Kruger, and he'd come in just for a video. It'd be sort of like as part of our video review once or twice a week. And he was a you probably asked Mike Brown, but I think he was a big, big part of Mike Brown being the player he is he would work a lot with Mike because Mike's quite an angry man and I don't know what issues there were and that there but I think he worked a lot with Mike but with us as a group mate, he, everything would be video focused so he'd watch the game and he'd be like, look, you've just scored the try there and no one's gone to celebrate your teammate. celebrate together, do things together half time, everyone find the captain, walk in together with the captain and he, he put these little things into place but then as it grew, it would naturally come into place every time. And then opposition would see us get around our captain. They'd see us celebrate. You see when Quinn score are trying out, how they celebrate with each other. It's probably more so than... I'm, I'm sure the roots come from that because Danny was there, Marla was there, all those boys were there. And then we'd have other things like he would use trigger words. So it would be based around Pavlov's theory. So obviously you blow the whistle, the dog salivates, you give him food, and it'd get to a point then where when you blew, he blew the whistle... The dog would think he was having food, so his bodily function would automatically get ready for the food and think he was having food. So he worked on that, and we'd have trigger words. So we'd have a word like bounce. So when we were on the floor in training, what, the coaches would call bounce, and we'd do a real quick down and up, just naturally. And then at the ruck, then Danny would be shouting, bounce, bounce, bounce. So as soon as you hear that, then your natural reaction would be to get up. You wouldn't even think about it, and we had all these trigger words. Another one that – uh we would use would be white. So we've given a few penalties out that one of the leaders would say white. Every single person would have to say that word on the pitch to say that it's triggered in their head. White, white, white. And we all knew our role. Red, another one was red, danger. Kick the ball. Every, every single player would call wall because it would get us all in that. And it would be those trigger words in the head. And I, I think that was one of the biggest things that made a difference to my game and to my way of thinking about rugby. Because before I'd experienced that, I'd never understood how important that psychological side of it was. It was never about your mental issues about you or talking about, oh, what's your problem, this. It was like, look, we're a team, we're a collective. We all need to think the same way. And then within that, express ourselves. We had another one in training where we'd say 60. So for the next 60 seconds, everything would be high intensity, 100% perfection. Well, normally you would think that, like, everyone would be serious. But at Quinn's, whenever we called 60, everyone was like, Woo, yeah, like whooping and whining. And like, it was actually, actually, we did everything at 100%, 100% perfection, but joking and having fun. And that was the one thing we're training. We were always joking and having fun. I remember the one time we're doing lineouts, Chris Hallefield Chris was chasing uh, scare, uh, crows in the trees, mate, while we're doing lineouts. JK was so shit scared of him, he didn't even say anything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he's a he's a scary man. I mean, how would you? Have, I mean, and that's yeah. Once again, all that stuff should be normal, really, shouldn't it? Like, you yeah, should yeah, yeah. These are the the psychological parts of the game. What I mean, if you could redesign this perfect environment, because I've definitely heard you talk a bit about well-being and people being able to go to someone like, and I don't know in football they might have like a they often have like someone from the church who's there and, you know, pastor or someone, some people can go and speak to. I mean, in your perfect team, what would it look like?
2: I think in my perfect team...
0: Or would it be coaches? Or would it be both?
2: Yeah, I I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, actually not really, having not spoken to you or anything, it was just on my mind. And I look at the setup that Quinn's have got now, I went to Quinn's, maybe it was two years ago now, in October, when Gustard was there. And I walked in there and I was like, what is this? And it sort of gave me flashbacks of Dean Ryan a little bit because it was very similar. Everything was posters on the wall, images on the wall. There was a bear in in the meeting room. There was hit lists, pictures and everything. And I was like, this is, it felt like a comic book. And I was like, everything's put there and everything's produced to create a culture, but a culture has got to come organically. It has to be an identity that's made by the players, putting pictures on the wall and having all these little gimmicks and all that. It, it only works for a certain amount of time. And then looking where they were and to where, to where they are now in that amount of time and seeing how they play, I think a massive thing is is, you look at Nick Evans on social media, I love this club. I love being part of this. And for a coach, how many coaches do you hear say that, mate? Out loud. Yeah. And a lot of them, when they say it, you think, oh, he's just saying it to keep his job. But never, you can actually see, he loves it on everything. It, even before they won the, the finals, he's like, I love this club. I love what it's about. And I think a big part of that is, if you look at the structure they've got now, they've got four yeah. players who are stuffed. So they've got Nick Evans, they've got the all four players, Jordan Turner Hall's helping there, Charlie Moore-Crohn's helping out, who I know those boys, and they love rugby. They're young guys, enthusiastic, love the rugby, know what it's about, being a part of the culture. And then they've got uh, Billy Millard ahead of that. But Billy Millard's not a rugby coach. He's, he was there, when I went and visited in October, he was there as sort of a what's the word? A mentor for the players, sort of sort of that sort of guidance for the players and keep cohesion as a group. So I think he's coming now at the top. He's managing the coaches and that cohesion and just sort of being a maybe in a way, human resources manager, just keeping the environment in a good place, making sure everyone's happy, the coaches are happy. And in my eyes, I think that's probably the way forward for rugby because you get these big DORs putting pressure on the staff to give performances. The pressure from the staff is then pushed onto the players and then it's, it's shown on the pitch. Whereas sometimes it just needs to go back to basics. Okay, what are the basics? Is it you coaches do. You go and do your job. Express how you want to do your job. There's no pressure from me. Express yourselves. I've got confidence in you as a coach. And then because coaches are allowed to express how they feel and what they do, it gives a better relationship then between them and the players as well, because they allow the players to express themselves. When you look at that example of made, everyone's enjoying themselves. No one's scared to make a mistake. Marcus Smith doing a goose step in the middle of the pit zone. If not, how many coaches would kick off about someone
0: doing that in the finals? And Yeah, mate, I would uh, I was a Bath, I asked uh, Nathan Catt the other day about like how many times you kicked the ball in a game and he said Rusty about seven times and they were all really good. And I said, Oh like no one told you off, he said, No, 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 they were all really good. I said, Did you tell did you see anyone else get told off? He said, Oh loads, loads of people, but mine were good, so I was fine. Yeah. And, of course, if Marcus's goose comes off, then some people might let him do it. But in lots of places, they'll be going, well, what are you doing? Like,
2: why but are you doing it the that? Space? You, you look at the you look at the game, even the analysts are saying that by him doing that, there was nothing going on. He just did it in the middle of space. But it held that defender for a millisecond because it helped create the try. And it's like, well, mate, why can't you do a goose step? Yeah, like, I mean, Marcus... Like, I mean, You'll you, you'll know better
0: than me because you'll know a lot of those lads, but guys like Marler, especially Danny Care, they're just able to be themselves now. And I was thinking a little bit about like, yeah, I like the te- like almost like the technical director in football. So if you have got Billy Millard, you're you're supporting coaches, you're helping them get better. You're probably challenging them a bit as well because yeah. again, we could probably do with that. Billy Millard doesn't have to be a rugby man, quite frankly.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. But that, that's also a job with a huge skill set. So like Nick Winkleman, who's head of performance for Irish Rugby Union, I spoke to him the other day and he spoke about like being mortar or glue. or So it's, it's its the person that can kind of connect people up, provide provocation, support at the right time, know when the environment needs nudging, know when all the posters on the wall need to come down because there was a time I went into and though there was stuff on the wall saying they were going to be the best defence and attack in the league. And they are about eighth or ninth in the league. Yeah. I was thinking, is someone going to paint over these at some point?
2: Yeah, mate, I walked in, I was like... We're what? just
0: going to, like,
2: pretend it's real. I literally sat in the kit man's office, mate, for about three hours having coffee with him. Because I sort of knew him from the past. Though. I was like, hey, what's going on here? I feel more comfortable in here. It's all too <laughs> much for me. But no, I think that's right, what you're saying. You need that person to be the glue. But then the problem is, as well, you need confident coaches who believe in what they do as well. That's a big thing for me. You get a mix of these coaches who are quite insecure or yes men or there's so many of them within rugby who are yes men who just want to keep their job, bring some friends in around them to keep in that comfort zone and not challenge each other. But then there's talking about challenging each other oh, I don't agree with this, but then there's really like, hey, you can't do that, or this, do you know what I mean? Really challenging each other in an open and honest way and with no with no consequences. And I think that's that's the thing. There's a lot of talk about that, but I don't think it actually exists a lot of the time. And, and, and to get that is difficult. You, you've been in those cultures, I imagine, where it's, oh, it was a, 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 honest. Well, it's,
0: been the, it's been the ending of my contract every time I've done it. <laughs> that's the reality. Like, yeah. that is the reality. Well, I did my contract a year, year earlier Bath, but it was because I was trying to challenge some stuff. Um, exactly the same at Rotherham. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's sad times, really.
2: And it comes to that question as well, then. It comes to that, that perfect environment. How can a player question a coach? Because human nature is when you question someone, it puts their back up and creates a dislodge straight away. So... There comes a certain point where you can talk to a coach and you say, mate, what you're doing is crap from a player. What's going to happen to you? So, so many players out there who probably have good opinions and thoughts, but you can't, you can't say it half the time. And there So many clubs talk about this are honest, though, or things like that, but does it really exist? That's that, that's the question as well. And I imagine with someone like Quinns, by having that Billy Miller, I I'm not 100% sure, but he's not the rugby side of it. So you could question him. You've got the coaches here. You question him. It skips the coaches, but then it'll drip back down to the coaches. So it's not creating that 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 disruption between players and coaches, I think, as well.
0: Yeah, no, mate. Look, I, I, I'm going to give you one more. Uh, so if you have your time again, I'm giving you two replays. You can change uh, two decisions in your life to, to do with rugby. What are you What are you changing? You don't have to. You could say, "No, I'll have it as it was. Thanks."
2: Two things I would change. Uh, I would have. I would have done more. I, I would have. I should have done more when I was younger in that situation at Worcester. I shouldn't have let it go on for three years. So I would have changed that. And the second thing, I would have had more belief in myself throughout my whole career. That would be the two things I'd change. Would a mentor have helped you? Uh, Yes. Funny thing, I, I did my level three and had a mentor for my level three. And it was probably one of the best things I've done. I had a guy Who was called your John, mentor? John Bates. Yeah, Bates, top man. Yeah. So I had him and I think it was one of the best things I've ever had. Like Because I was coaching it in France as well. And we'd won seven, premiership, uh, seven games on the bounce, four of them with a bonus offensive. So that was the start of our season, seven wins. And then we played a local derby game and we lost. And it, was, it wasn't even a game of rugby, mate. it was a fight. You can imagine these French derbies. And the president came in at halftime, blowing his head off. He came in after the game, threatening to sack every player, every player and every member of staff. He came in the gym the next morning, saying the same thing. He says, you lose the next game. All the staff have lost their job and all, all the players are going to lose their job. Mate, this is, my, this is like my first coaching gig. And I, I spoke to John, I was like, mate, is this normal? Some of the stories I was telling John, John was like, mate, this is not normal. You've experienced more in a year of coaching (laughs) in France than what I've experienced in a whole lifetime. But sometimes I think it's nice to have that question. I I can speak to my wife, I can speak to other people or players, but to have that person and say to him, James, this isn't a normal environment. It's not normal. It's not you. And I think it makes a massive difference. So 100% I think a mentor is good. And sometimes I think the mentor outside the club as well. Like, like you, you've lived, mate. And that's something I do now. I believe that I was given an opportunity in rugby by people to become a professional player. And I believe when I coach or every day I live my life now, my biggest aim in life is to give the opportunities to someone that I had. To be a professional rugby player is an amazing thing, but also to advise them. So, for example, I've got a player phoned me at the minute Club want to pay him out his contract, trying to screw him over. He's had concussions. They hadn't registered his concussion. Uh, they're trying to pay him out. They're saying they can't do this. They've gone top 14. And he's, he's completely lost this guy, mate. And the thing is with these young lads now, they come straight from academy. They didn't have the luxury of being around amateur players. I mean, you had, I used to be sat in the physio room with the Tony window and Neil Lyman, listening to everything. I brought properties because I listened to them. Yeah. But then you don't have that environment now, and these guys, these guys don't have a clue. And another player I spoke to, he's got an agent. His agents wanted him to stay somewhere, and he's like, oh, there's no other clubs interested. And then I sort of knew so other clubs were sort of interested, but his agent didn't want to tell him because he was getting more money from one club. And I'm like, boys put their trust in an agent, and it's put trust in these people, thinking they're doing the best for them. Not thinking about it, but they don't a lot of the time, and 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 I like to just say to the boys, I'm like, look, mate, I'm here to help you. No hidden agendas. I tell you straight how it is, and and they don't even know like who to call, like in Proval or RPA. Like RPA is good, but I have my issues with the RPA as well because it's it's ran is run by rugby, and a lot of those people in the RPA are friends with people in the clubs or they've got sponsors, and I don't think. The RPA's benefit 90% of the time is the benefit of the, for the interest of the players. I have a lot of issues with that. I broke my neck, mate. Not one person from the RPA even contacted me to see if I needed help. To be fair, I had a card off Bath Rugby. I had nothing to do with Bath Rugby. They sent me a card to ask how I was, if ever you need anything from Bath Rugby supporters group. And to me, I'll never forget that. And that was the only people who came and offered help. And, and the RPA was never there, mate. And I, I remember about a year uh, no, it was about six, seven months later. I'd spoken to one of the reps. I was like, "Oh, I broke my neck." "Oh, did you?" "Didn't even know." "I'm like, yeah, mate, and you guys did absolutely nothing to help
0: me." Wow. Well, I hope they're better now because uh, my best mate is Rich Brian. So, yeah. listening to it, he can, uh, and this will be some feedback for him. Yeah, I'd um, yeah, same as you with an agent again. Like, I would speak to a lot of players and try and help them and give an impartial point of view, really, and. Amazing that you listened to Tony Window and you took some good advice from him. So, yeah,
2: awesome, and Reg. Yeah, Reg, mate. There's quite a lot of old, old boys at Worcester, mate. I, I, they never spoke to me half the time because I was young and it was about earning the stripes. I, I'll never forget Tony Window. I was training and I was running around the training pitch like an absolute head case and i never forget this. And he said to me, slow down, just calm down. I was like, what do you mean? Just leave me. I'm happy. I'm, 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 I want to prove I'm good. He's like, look, one day you'll understand... I think it was about three years ago I was on the rugby team. <laughs> were going like nuts. And I literally, that moment in my head with Tony totally Window, I was like, you know, I, I know what he was on about now. But to be around players like that, mate, it, you were there. Like, it was different generation and they're a lot more streetwise. And I just don't think the players are streetwise these days, to be honest with you. And it's not any fault of their own. It's just they're put in an environment all their life and their regime. Like, I don't know how it affects you now, but for myself, I had a regime every single my, single day of my life for the last 20 years. I knew what I was doing. And, and when I don't have regime in my day, I get quite lost and I get quite stressed and I get quite edgy. Do you know what I mean? And I have to go to the gym to release that. So I still like beat myself in the gym. And these boys are in that environment from an even younger age now and they don't have that exposure of the... The, the real world, thinking that your agent's your best mate all the time and your agent's looking after you. But really, he's only looking after his own benefits and what club he can put you and other things in. And when it when they find that information out, it's a real shock to them. It's like, but I've trusted him. I thought they were helping helping me. And it's the same with that sort of, the coaches as well. You put that trust in them. You put that trust in the club and give everything to the club. But sometimes the club just turn around you one day and go, yeah, we don't want you anymore. And that's the first experience in your life. You're like, oh, I've given everything to this club. What's happened? Yeah, well,
0: the good thing for me is I hate regimes. So uh, I'm happy <laughs> to be out of it. Um, and of course, like, what I would say is like there's there's lots of players now starting to do stuff outside rugby and reaping the benefits on the pitch. Yeah. So it would be very, you know, the, the days of being almost Johnny Wilkinson obsessed. You know, there'll still be people like that. But I think lots more people are recognising that you have to yeah, you're going to have to prepare for your future. And it's definitely helpful to to have some different dimensions to what you do in your life. Because although the money's decent, they're not. The vast majority going to have to get a, let's call it, a proper job
2: yeah. uh, in the future. I, I 100% agree with that. I, I know when I was at Quinn's, it might have been part of the reason it was so, I enjoyed it so much. We used to, uh, me and a lad called John Brooks, tight prop. We set up a meat business, so we used to we used to, we, we got a refrigerated van, and we used to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, drive to Smithfield in London, collect all the meat, prepare the meat if it was like burgers or different things, prepare it, and then we'd go and deliver it to the schools or restaurants and everything, get back in at 7 o'clock in the morning, get our kit on for training and go training, mate. We used to do it, we started off one day a week, then we did two days a week, but mate, we go down Smithfield, all the butchers there. It was unreal, mate. And like, <laughs> that's the guy following us. We used to rock up with a refrigerated van, give all the boys at Queen's, the Irish their meat and that. And taking that away from the rugby, I really enjoyed it. I actually really enjoyed my rugby even more. And Dino would always encourage those sort of things, boys to do extra things and things like that. So as you said, mate, one massive takeaway I'd tell boys to do is to get something else, prepare, no matter how old you are do something, get out there, even if you do it for a year and it doesn't work out, try it. Because I know boys now, I'm on a WhatsApp group, and the other week I had about, the boys, every boy was sent a picture of what they were doing, four or five of them were labourers now, mate, working on a building site, and they were top-level premiership players, and I said to my missus, I was like, it's hard to see that, and that <laughs> sort of, that, that support for players again, that transition, where is that support for players? Because, in my opinion, a, a premiership player should never be in that position where he's having to labour, week in, week out, to have a job. So what you said there is the a massive thing about about reinventing the rugby as well.
0: Nice, mate. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to ask you a few one-worders. I'm going to ask you first, like, who's... You can pick one coach. Who's the best coach?
2: Nigel Redman.
0: Of course he is. Big Red. He'll love that. Um, who's the best player you played with?
2: Uh, <laughs> Chris Robshaw. Uh, best player you played against? Uh Delaglio when I played against him I had a different different respect for him as a bloke I was never sure but when I played against him I was like yeah he's he's <laughs> he was something good so I just remember being in Rooks and different things and he was there and it was not so much about the bigger picture but when you know yourself when you're on the pitch against someone and they're always there and you're like Jesus Christ you're there again and I, probably Delalio for me I would say yeah Nice. Uh,
0: what, what's the one kind of moment on the pitch you would you, you hold in your heart?
2: One moment I hold on my heart in the pitch. Uh, Stade Front, I played against Stade Francais in the Stade de France. Maximum capacity. There's like a, a massive show on before and I remember walking out and I love the film Gladiator and when I was walking out to do the warm-up, the Gladiator Absolutely. No. nice.
0: Um warm word is uh Dean Richards legend Quinns Tempo Nice uh Worcester Strange <laughs> Nigel Love Hugo Hugo <laughs> Nice uh, DC Magical. Uh, Coaching.
2: Complicated.
0: It's really complicated. Just got to simplify it. Uh, Rugby. Special. You do it all again. And that's the amazing thing about it, isn't it? It's like there'd be lots of tough times and some stuff that could be better, but I think we would all do it again.
2: Yeah, mate. I, I watch that Queen's game and it's not very often, but I was like, Jesus... I want to get my boots back on. What i <laughs> would do to play in front of 20,000 again, just to play one game. That, that, that's the feeling on this. So, yeah. Yeah, nice. Mate, look,
0: stay safe. Uh,
2: Cheers,
0: keep uh, looking well on your Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll catch you soon.
2: Cheers, buddy. All the best. Thank you, mate.